Good morning, KTSW 89.9. This is Cash Radio. I am your host, Alex Duarte. Cameron Sullivan. T.R. Allen. Aaliyah Batts. And today, we're going to be continuing on from last week's uh, episode style with uh, covering an article published by some McCoy College business professors, including Professor Anderson, Professor Rayburn, Professor Sierra, Professor Murdoch, and Professor McGeorge. And the article that we're talking about today is an article talking about consumer buying behavior and uh, retailer strategy through a crisis, a future studies perspective. And pretty much what the article is going over is um, just different studies that all these professors use to highlight um, how marketing assists retailers to serve their customers during and after a crisis. Uh, you know, some of the viewpoints predict um, probable, possible, and preferable futures based on insight from consumers and retailers. There are four rounds of data collection. This research that they use in the article will help develop a model of then current crisis of retailing, the predicted and the realized future for consumers, uh, consumers preferred retail future and for business owners vision on how to transition to this preferred future. Uh, grounded theory analysis for real themes, including system development, relationship building, c- consumer safety, and adaptability as paths to the preferred retail future. Yo, have we ever been through a crisis, or what are we talking about here? Um, hmm. Thinking about, I don't think I ever have. Me what, what kind of crisis could they be referring to? That's crazy. I don't know. I can't. I can't think of anything. <laughs> I wonder what that might be. The worst two years ever. And then, and then now, but now it's time. Now it's like every business owner's eyes have been open. It's like, okay, we need a contingency plan. Like we have to have something in case like this goes down and we're going to go through this article a little bit, but it really is changing the way businesses run and how these businesses had to change. And it's not just, it wasn't just a recent change or a change for a small time period. It's going to be the change from now on. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely interesting, and of course we'll get more into this in the article, but I definitely think it's interesting, just like anecdotally from my own experience, Mm -hmm. uh, just noticing how businesses have adapted. You know, we're, I mean, are we really post-pandemic? Not really, but like, um, but you know, for economic purposes, we are post, you know, pandemic, and it's interesting how a lot of businesses have maintained, you know, COVID policies, um, and the contingency plans uh, and how their cultures have adapted, I guess, to prepare for any other illness that comes around. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, knock on wood, there won't be, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, and before we get started the going further deep into the article, I just wanted to ask you guys, has y'all's business, you know, buying habits or, you know, buying process changed throughout these past two years? Oh, absolutely. Um, I used to, I think... I, well, okay, so I tend to spend a lot of money, uh, <laughs> probably too much. We all do. Yes, um, but I think a lot of it shifted to, like, you know, online shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I was buying was a little bit different. Um, I think I, th- I think a lot of times, like, obviously I would buy things that, would like, make things, like, more enjoyable or things that I was doing around the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, like, during the pandemic, I had a lot of fun with makeup um so i um so i would buy like a lot more makeup strangely i wasn't wearing you know well i would wear makeup but i would wear like you know the basics i would wear like foundation and like eyeliner and stuff like that but nothing anything crazy but then once the pandemic hit um i spent a lot less money on makeup but what i was buying 
was more colorful stuff, things I could, I wasn't exactly sure about. It wasn't like my mainstays, just things I could experiment with um, because I was doing it at home. So I was like less social pressure, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was my experience. But yeah, I think about how everything changed with my buying habits through the pandemic and how it continued now. Like I just think about like curbside at grocery stores, like, Shout out I HB. would, I would <laughs> shout out HB. I, I would never, e- would have never even considered curbside mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Um, but during it and then working in it, that's, I mean, that's all I do now. Like I couldn't tell you the last time I stepped foot into a grocery store. So little things like that or big things like that. I do that every single week. Um, I don't really, and like, I think about going to like the stores or even like the outlet here. It's like, yeah. Like I just feel more accustomed and better online shopping than I am like in an actual brick and mortar store now. Yeah. Um, and even though I do not have that anxiety anymore about the pandemic, it just has changed, like flip that switch in my brain to, Oh, why do that when I can just do this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, my, my habits have changed too. Just like everybody else's. I don't think anybody's habits haven't changed since the crisis it's kind of impossible for your habits to stay the same <laughs> but um i obviously like everybody else i shopped online even though post pandemic i'm kind of wanting to go back to brick and mortar not regarding groceries i totally understand curbside for groceries because those lines are too long it's too crowded it takes too long to pick stuff out yeah but i understand curbside completely but like in terms of like you know we talked about this i think if last week think or the week before that or some week about you know the supply chain and things of that sort and how long it takes things to get from the business to the consumer and especially when you're on a time crunch and things of that sort so i've definitely been wanting at least regarding clothes and things of that sort i've been wanting to move towards brick and mortar because of those supply chain issues so yeah that's me personally yeah that's totally totally understandable and yeah just regarding i guess my habits pretty much the same thing as everyone else's you know I just had a change. Um, yeah, I don't know. I still prefer to buy online just because it's so convenient. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't gone to the mall in, like, probably over two years now, honestly. Unless I really needed something. But for the most part, yeah, it's just been just online shopping for me, honestly. Yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that I've learned through online shopping and things like that is that it often helps me to avoid, like, impulse buys, which I still do make impulse buys online. Like, if I see something online that I think is, like... Like, for example, if I'm looking for groceries and I see, like, a little cake or something, and I'm like, that looks good, and I'll throw it in the cart, but it's not nearly as bad as when I'm actually in the store because that's one of my biggest Achilles heels when it comes to shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that online shopping, like, for example, like, I place orders on the Target app and then come pick it up and leave, and that cuts down on my impulse buying by, like, 50%, if not more. So uh, I think that, you know just like all of us at this table i think a lot of people have like been forced to take on these new ways of shopping um because of the pandemic but then they kind of kept it because it benefited them in other ways so for sure um but yeah just speaking on the article um i just want to start off with the uh section titled the literature review where it pretty much just talks about you know retailing and i guess its current state right now and you know some of the factors that influence or affect uh, retailing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess this first part I just wanted to mention was, um, you know, retail getting disrupted because of COVID, but not just because of COVID, it's also due to te- technological, uh, global, environmental 
and social factors, you know, prompting an urgent need to understand consumers' changing demands. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, one of the one of the examples that they, that they bring up on the article, uh, they talk about re- many retailers, you know, developing their online print, their online uh, presence, you know, instead of just doing like stuff like I don't know, like on billboards or just like I guess like local um, advertising. A lot of businesses were forced to, you know, make online websites, you know, have all their merchandise on there, be able to order stuff online, and they pre- they previously didn't have that before, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of pl- businesses, you know, if you weren't online before, which, you know, in 2019, it was pretty dang hard to not, like, be online, uh, then you definitely were online in 2020, or you were, you know, struggling, but... Um, I think especially like maybe there are some businesses that were online, but for example, like their websites weren't very sophisticated. They didn't have all their products. It wasn't updated very often, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I think the pandemic sort of forced people to take better care of that, but probably for the better. Um, and I know a lot of it often it gave a lot of employees a lot of time to like maybe put more emphasis on the websites since you know maybe they're working from home and things like that so I can definitely see where that's coming from yeah I just want to speak a little bit about um, what they said in the abstract about how the retail industry is experiencing consequential disruptions Mm -hmm. due to human technological technological social and global factors so um I wanted to go over a few of those factors and which I believe a few of those factors are, are. So starting with human factors. So what human factors do you, do y'all feel like um, are causing the retail industry to experience those disruptions? What human factors do y'all believe? Um, well, I guess human, I guess you could just kind of relate that to like, I guess public health, you know, like public health safety, you know? Yeah. So, like, I guess, like, when this case regarding, you know, this article, obviously, you know, it's talking about COVID, mm. and that's something that it's a human issue, you know. It's a mm. public health concern. So I think that's obviously the, you know, the elephant in the room for sure. Mm-hmm. I also think another human factor is just, like, the people's, like, um, I find that more and more people are, like, anxious to be out in public and out in, like, big stores like that, mm. um, which is a factor in the retail space is that some people – um, after a couple of years of not going out, they just don't want to do it anymore and find themselves a lot more anxious to go outside. Yeah, I would say human factor would also be increased demand too mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. before you can kind of split it up between, okay, maybe 30% of shoppers shopped online and 70% shopped in person, but like the crisis made it a thing where everybody has to shop online, you know? So you have all these people scrambling through the same outlet to get what the what they want out of it. So... And, you know, I feel like when it's online, you can order more. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but when I go online, I order way more than I... I'm not... It doesn't help me. We have the opposite problems here. Or like, we have the opposite problems. <laughs> I order way more online, so... Yeah. yeah. No, I totally understand that. Um, I think one thing that might be... I don't know if this... I am so sorry. Sorry, the semester. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I think one thing that might be a factor is that people's buying habits have changed not even just so much how they're buying but like what they're buying and how many quantities they're buying mm-hmm. i know in the yep. paper that they discussed at length you know things like panic buying which really took me back mm-hmm. oh. yeah, <laughs> I remember. But, toilet paper oh yeah the toilet 
<laughs> my friend got toilet paper earrings after the pandemic started. Wow. Um, it's, it's, I still laugh when I see them. But anyway, so, you know, not even just like panic buying or buying things for the house or things like that. But I think people have really shifted their perspective on like what's important to buy. I mentioned, you know, buying makeup products that were, I guess, less practical uh, to wear outside of the house. Um, but I know a lot of people were doing things like home improvement. I did. I recently did some studying on Lowe's for a paper I was doing. So, you know, people had an increase of like home improvement goods that they were buying because they wanted to improve their homes because they were at home all the time uh, versus, you know, go like you're not going to spend so much money on like, you know, Ubers, taxis, you know, spending money at bars and clubs. Um, because A, that wasn't allowed, but B, like, you know, people's just priorities have changed or maybe their habits have changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's another thing that people might not think? Maybe even, maybe even like clothes and shoes, like people might not be buying like, you know, outdoor coats and like fancy boots anymore, you know? So yeah, definitely something to consider. Yeah. What are some global factors that y'all feel cause disruptions? Um, well, I guess, you know, some global factors are, um, I guess, um, just like, you know, our supply chain issues that mm-hmm. have been going on, that have been c- continuing to go on these past couple years. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, like some ports, like in certain countries could get blocked off, you know, so, right. you know, companies that produce goods like in Asia, like in China or, uh, Southeast Asia, you know, a lot of their ports are being blocked, you know, because mm-hmm. of COVID and. You know, unfortunately, we as the American consumer, we have to wait for those products to come here, you know. So yeah. I think that's definitely a big global factor that's just affecting everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think there's also, like, a lot of sociopolitical factors involving, like, you know, other countries' handlings of COVID and things like that. Like, for example, like, if you have a country that has very strict COVID lockdowns, then things are probably going out a lot slower, if at all. Uh, and I know that's this is touched on by you, Alex, and also kind of touched on last week. But I definitely think that's a factor that uh, people don't always take into consideration because, like, a lot of different countries had a lot of different reactions. I think so. Um, that really played a, a gl- that global thing really played a factor. Uh, also, another global factor is that um, the war um, in Russia and Ukraine. I think that probably also played a factor. It wasn't. I don't think it was like exactly around COVID time. I think it was like maybe a year later. Oh man, I hope I don't sound like an idiot. But <laughs> it was like it was like earlier this year, like in February of okay, yeah. So that makes sense. So uh, around then, you know, I'm sure that started affecting shipping, not only from things directly from either Ukraine or Russia, but also, you know, countries around it, p- countries that heavily relied on them for trade and things like yeah, that. A lot of partners. Yes. So that affects them. So in the, in that case, you know, it also affects who's trading, whoever's trading with those countries. And it's just kind of like a ripple effect. Well, I also saw somewhere in the article how they said um, that, you know, basically to progress, it's going to begin with retailers acknowledging, embracing, and predicting the online shopping reality of consumers and how this will impact retail businesses presently and moving forward. And this reminds me of a case that I read in my business law class um, between Tiffany's, like the jewelry, mm-hmm. and Louis and uh, Louis Vuitton, yeah. and how Louis Vuitton wanted to buy Tiffany's before the pandemic 
the pandemic happened keep in mind tip all of tiffany's promotions they're all brick and mortar they haven't really finessed their online retailing and so when the pandemic happened tiffany's sales went down because they didn't know how to adapt and louis vuitton wanted to basically back out of the deal and it made me think about how much of an impact it has when you can't adapt like you think it only impacts the business itself but it's like it impacts future opportunities that you have of businesses as well so i just wanted that just reminded me when they were talking about how retailers needed to predict the online shopping reality it's like yeah not just for the consumers but for your business as well so yeah yeah i think this just goes along with just having like a good business plan you know um obviously tiffany's i guess you know obviously they weren't expecting you know the pandemic to happen but yeah i guess they're expecting to still be able to you know stay positive with you know with their sales yeah uh despite the pandemic but you know they were obviously proven wrong and yeah. i don't know if louis vuitton ended up buying them so yeah so tiffany's um actually was threatening to sue them oh. because lou you can't just back out like that yeah. and louis uh louis v was trying to get like a french minister to fake papers saying that like louis v doesn't have to do it and just a whole bunch of stuff basically they couldn't get out of it like that's what i believe so okay so yeah tiffany's like nope you can't get out of this i will litigate i will sue like all that so yeah yeah you know what's interesting i actually Mm. just started seeing ads for tiffany's on tiktok Mm. and i thought that was really interesting because i i know a lot of like tiffany's sort of branding is based off of like you know luxury Mm -hmm. not that you can't like be luxury and have ads but you know you know they have a very like they kind of market themselves off of like you know you want me because you can't have me right so i was very surprised to see ads on tiktok Mm. um i mean not saying that it's a bad thing but i thought but it makes sense like you know if they were recently purchased yeah uh that they would have sort of a branding change but Mm -hmm. i think that also kind of ties into why they seem to maybe struggle during the pandemic yeah you know they are kind of relying on like you know you going in you going in mm-hmm. and like you have like having a big wads of money to be able to purchase it and stuff like that yeah um but if you don't you know if you don't have that you know in person ooh sorry uh, if you don't have that in person experience where you're just like going in and looking at the diamonds and stuff like that then it's sort of like kills the vibe and i know yeah. you know i know a lot of people talk about like they love the packaging and stuff like that. I'm sure you can get the packaging, like, online. But, like, you know, getting walking out with a Tiffany's, like, shopping bag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, like, it's apparently, like, a huge part of the experience. Uh, but you don't really get that if you're ordering online. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was just looking at an article right now written from the BBC. And it actually said that Louis Vuitton did buy Tiffany. They did, yeah. yeah they paid $15.8 billion yeah. for the company. $135 a share. Yeah. And... That's actually a discount because they originally wanted sixteen point two billion, so they got like, yeah. what is that, four hundred million dollars off? So, yeah, still a lot of money, but <laughs> I mean, they yeah, the deal had to go through. Yeah, mm-hmm. they had to. That's crazy. Papers already signed. Yeah. Can't back out, you know. Um, so I also read in the article that they said, um, while some retailers adeptly adjusted to the current environment. Many need guidance on how to move forward, including organizational organizational leadership. And this reminds me a little about Enron, because you know how they went down and a big part of it was due to their leadership, right? Pretty much all of it was due to their leadership. So it just made me realize and think about how do y'all feel like organizational leadership plays a role 
and being able to adapt to a crisis you know things run downhill so if you've got a really good leader that you know from the get-go has a plan and you know of course like obviously you can't have a plan of day two of lockdown you're like okay this is what we're gonna do for maybe the next you can six maybe you can but i mean like things evolved so quickly like because I, I remember we all thought that we were gonna be in lockdown for like two weeks at the most you mm-hmm. know but um you know, if they have a plan and they execute that plan, I think that's going to trickle down to the employees because uh, the employees will have a sense of security because they'll know what's going on. They'll know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'll help the, everything go better. But, you know, if if the the uh, leader, you know, doesn't know what they're doing or makes a plan that's just like doesn't fit with the current reality then you know that's gonna be difficult and that's gonna affect all of your lower level employees like for example um if you're let's just say you have a dental grills company i say this off the top of my head because if the employees if the ceo is like okay you guys can't wear masks in store because you have to wear the grills Mm -hmm. like in person (laughs) this is a very silly example but like you know if if you have if you can't wear a mask because everybody has to see the grills or whatever well you know the employees aren't going to feel safe you know because you know retail workers even as mentioned in the article a lot of time retail workers have covid get covid from like exposure from employees or things like that so they're not going to feel comfortable so they're not going to execute that plan to the best of their ability maybe people will quit um things like that so it's definitely something you need to keep in mind yeah I think organizational leadership is so important when it comes to basically being able to like, like you said, like respond to stuff, you know, because like as an employee, you're looking up to your leader, your superior to like make, to like guide you in decisions and things of that sort. So it's like when the leaders are confused, everybody else is confused. Like there's a lot of pressure. I think a lot of the times when you go up, you see the CEOs, they don't do much, right? They're just mm-hmm. like, oh, I get to make a whole bunch of money and not do anything. Well, maybe on a day-to-day basis when things aren't, you know, things are going smoothly, but when things aren't going smoothly, like it really all depends on you, you know? So all your time, while you have people under you that are handling those day-to-day operations, you need to be thinking long-term. You need to basically put your mind to like plan, hey, if this happens, if this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, and things of that sort instead of just like, you know, not really caring about it. Cause I always think about Enron. I always think about Enron and how Enron basically the leaders, what's his name? Like Ken. Uh, it was, yeah, it was Kenneth Lay. He was oh, the founder. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. So I think about Kenneth Lay and how like he wasn't really transparent and how, you know, when it came to feedback, the employees hated the feedback and how there were so many changes that they could have made externally and internally to prevent that from happening and in a way that was a crisis too you know when pe- when we see crisis we think of covid but there are so many different other types of crises that can occur on a day-to-day basis oh, that yeah. is not like war like think about like the ukraine war let's say your company was affected by the ukraine war that's not covid but it can still happen and you still need to pre- you know be able to predict that you know and yeah you know adjust accordingly and just keep your eyes and ears peeled for things like this like for example this isn't in a profit like a for-profit setting but uh i was working at a library at the time when COVID hit and my managers did a really good job of like transitioning into you know 
serving the public as like during COVID. And I think part of the reason why is because she'd been expecting COVID to come through as, as early as February because mm. she was reading the news. So I think it's really important to stay informed of things that could be problems and start thinking about that because you really have to be like keeping because like for there there was news of covid like i think as early as january yeah um yeah but we just December didn't maybe yeah maybe In china we, yeah exactly and like we just didn't think it would affect us and look at us now so you know the business owners that took notice back in december or january and we're like all right we need to come up with a contingency plan in case it ever comes over here yeah that those are the ones that probably did well during the pandemic yeah and it makes me think about like like we said like it was happening in china and we didn't think it would happen here but now it's like even as a business you should expect that if something is happening in china it's probably going to affect you too the thing about technology these days is it separated people but it also linked people in a way too Mm -hmm. to where like in the past if something happened across the seas it would just stay over there right even like diseases when there was like what it was like pox some type of pox that happened smallpox one of them yes smallpox (laughs) happened a while ago they were able to centralize it because people couldn't travel like that but due to like technology and things of that sort but something's happening over there it's gonna trickle over here sooner or later so even if you think your business is fine because it's affecting i don't know asia or some other continent or country like it can affect you too yeah absolutely yeah just i mean just the whole world you know nowadays is becoming more um what's the word globalized you mm-hmm. know like globalization you know yeah it's just the way that business is conducted now yeah. especially with online stuff you know yeah. we're not when, like the u.s isn't the one making this stuff you know we have to get s- suppliers you know from i don't know i mean different parts yeah different parts of the world um so yeah we're just kind of relying on them to you know hold up their part of the bargain or the deal yeah and then yeah just go from there and then being able to adjust when that supplier can't oh yeah exactly. perform and having a force majeure clause and things of that sort but yeah so also in the article um they state that um their participants that they surveyed state the need for continued learning and systems development to aid them in making an appropriate transition to e-commerce and the adoption of new physical processes to provide comfort and confidence for consumers and so it makes you think about all the websites i've been on right and i want to buy something online and they either don't have available online right or their um interface the online interface sucks it's not good because it's not it's not streamlined it's not simple it's not updated and i think about the many products that i didn't decide to buy only because their website wasn't updated and that really highlights the need for having a continuously updated systems development that is catered to your company and to your consumers as well so you can continue to buy from them so i just want to think about y'all's take on the importance of um systems development and continuously updating that to make an appropriate transition to e-commerce i think it's just a part of like just being a business owner you know just being able to um, like i said you know just uh implement these new changes you know that that um that the consumers are looking for you know um like i said you know a lot of companies were forced to you know increase their e-commerce presence you know their online websites i know i know like for sure like heb like i remember curbside was pretty low-key you know before the pandemic like it was just kind of like a niche thing but now it's 
pretty mainstream now. You know, a lot, a lot of people do the shopping on H E B curbside. I will say H E B should update their mobile. I haven't had their mobile app, but I do think they should have a mobile app if they don't already. They do. I yeah, have it on my phone. Yeah, Ooh. they do. Yeah. I think ready. So yeah, like I mean, I mean, it's just out of like necessity, you know, because if yeah. like let's say for example H E B is not doing it, then you know there are other retail competitors such as Walmart, um, Target, or you know Sam's Club, Costco. You know, they're all, you know, they understand what they need to do. <laughs> can you do curbside on that? Yes. Yeah. Can you, can. you can you say that you're here? Yeah. Oh. Never yeah, so mind HEV, I'm sorry for hating on you. Yeah, it's just about streamlining the process and just making it as easy as you can for the consumers for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys. Thank you for tuning into today's Cash Radio. Uh I hope you enjoyed our discussion about uh, the article. Uh, written by several Texas State professors, uh, including mm-hmm. Professor Rayburn, mm-hmm. our professor. Sydney Anderson. Sydney Anderson. I have him too. Shout yes. out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, once again, I'm T.R. Allen. I'm Leah Batts. I'm Alex Duarte. Cameron Sullivan. And you have just heard Cash Radio only on KTSW 89.9. Peace out. Later. Woo woo. Yeah, yeah.